This program is brought to you by the Living Church Boise. This is Restart Hope with Pastor Joel Sicker on FM 94.1 The Voice. God uses what the enemy meant for evil and he turns it to good. If we would not let our suffering, our adversities, our problems hinder us, put your hand on that gospel plow and not look back. One day you're going to stand before the king when all intentions and motives will be revealed. And we stand there not by our works, but by grace. Praise God for that. And all the slanders will fall away. All the adversities will fall away. All your enemies, God will take care of that. And we got to keep preaching the gospel. Let's keep moving on real quick. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Paul knew that he was going to stand before kings. It says that, but the Lord said to him, that's Ananias. Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Paul knew from his salvation that he was going to stand before kings. In Acts chapter 23, verse 11, he's in Jerusalem. The following night, the Lord himself stood by him and said, Take courage, Paul, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Paul knew that he was going to go go to Rome. Paul knew that he was going to preach the gospel and share the gospel, but he did not like the hindrances that came his way. Or at least, I'm sure he didn't. Because his hindrances were crazy. You see, I'm telling you this, that God wants to use you. Each and every one of you, God wants to use you to preach the gospel. But I'm telling you, there will be hindrances in the way. Paul knew that he was going to preach the gospel. Paul knew that he was going to stand before kings. Paul knew he was going to be in Rome. He did not know how he was going to get there. You see, what happens is Paul's on his third missionary journey. He's back in Jerusalem at a temple ceremony. He's falsely accused that he brings a Gentile into the temple, which is a no-no. And a mob starts beating him up to save him. The soldiers grab him and pull him away. He stands a very fake trial. He's shipped off to Caesarea for two years. There are three trials over there. Three trials in two years because they say that he brought a Gentile into the temple and he's preaching a false religion. He appeals to Caesar because he's Roman. And finally he goes to Rome in a cargo ship. In chains. And then he gets in a slave boat. And he gets shipwrecked. He's bitten by a snake. Come on, seriously? Like, and then what happens? His dog dies and he loses his truck? Pretty much. Pretty much. It's so crazy. And those hindrances will come your way. Your suffering, God can use it to advance the gospel. Your suffering, God can use to build trust in Jesus for others watching you. Your suffering can make others that you're ministering to bold to preach the gospel. Your suffering will show the true motives of people around you. And your suffering does not hinder the proclamation of the gospel. Last thing, and we'll close with this. You excited for that? Awesome. Your suffering has the potential to bring you joy. Your suffering has the potential to bring you joy. While I was praying for this, and while I realized that we're, we're in a room of disciple makers over here, you might be a new believer, you might be a believer that really does not know much about Jesus at all. You might be a very brand spanking new Christian. Maybe you're a Christian that's not yet been baptized even. And you've heard me use this word gospel, 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 gospel so much and your spirit is saying, what in the world is the gospel? I'm glad you asked. Because the only way you can experience true joy in your suffering is when you've responded to the gospel. Because your suffering has a potential to bring you joy if the gospel is your passion and is the center of your life. Paul says in verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. When you hear Christ being proclaimed, when you see Christ raised high in your life, when you see Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, being center, the focus of your life, no one can steal the joy away from you. I was speaking to a friend of mine last week over here because there's confusion around this essential joy that God gives us joy 
I guarantee you, you can stand at the graveside of a loved one and still have joy. You can be in your deathbed in the hospital right now and still have joy. Because the joy doesn't come from health, the joy doesn't come from friends, the joy doesn't come from marriage, the joy doesn't come from your children. The joy comes from the Lord. Amen. In His presence has fullness of joy. And wherever you go, no matter what you do, no one can steal the joy if you've held on to the good news. The gospel pretty much is this. It's good news. The gospel, Umam, Umam Gileon, means the good news. We're called to proclaim, to shout the good news. The good news is this, that Jesus died and rose again. You see, there was a time in India, and I'm a madman for the gospel. I love preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, not to boast, but to encourage you. Um, I have two tattoos of two question marks on my wrist because I was like... This is a beautiful way to share the gospel. So I would go to every training class or session or workshop in evangelism and sharing the gospel. And, um, and I was fired up. I was going on an escalator one day in India. I was very young. And we were going up. And there was this middle-aged lady who was very well-dressed. And we were going up. And for some reason, it caught my again. Once again, the Holy Spirit was like, watch out. I'm going to do something. I was like, all right. And I think I was window shopping or something like that in the mall. And I was coming back down a couple of hours later down the escalator and guess what it was the same lady and I said up and down and up and down and one day we go up and we're not going to come back down and clearly that got her attention right she's like what do you mean and she's just like very business lady and I looked kind of I looked like a like a biker like a motorcycle guy and she and I should never really have anything in common I said isn't it fascinating that one day you go to work you come back I go shopping I come back I hang out with my friends I come back and one day all that's going to end and we go up never to come back down again <clears throat> And I asked her, I said, what do you think? If you were to die, would you, would you go to heaven? And she's like, well, I, I, I would want to, I'd like to. And I said, if, if God were to ask you, I don't think he would, but if he were to ask you, I think her name was Sonia, if he were to ask you, why should he let you into his heaven, what would you say? And I said, well, that's a tough one. I, I don't know what I would say. And all the time, the, the question is, what would you say, right? And I was like, well, I'm glad you asked, because you see, I know that God, he's holy. I mean, holy is, he's never sinned. He's perfect. And me, I'm not perfect. I've sinned, I've lied, I've stolen, I'm sure you have too. Maybe I've done things worse than you have, but we've all sinned. And there's no way that I can be in the presence of a holy God, because where he is, it's holy. And if I go there, I will, I will ruin the place, I will dirty the place up. So there's no way that a sinful person can be in the presence of God. And it's beautiful because the Bible actually attests to that and says all have sinned and fallen short of God's standards of the glory of God. But the Bible also told me that, that God sent his son Jesus Christ, uh, the, the Messiah, and that he lived a life that I could never live. And he lived a perfect life and then he took my place of death so that when I die, I don't have to fear standing outside the gates of heaven, but because of the life that he lived, I can actually enter into the presence of God. And I said, apparently that's what Christians believe and that's what I believe. And all of this happens because of something very small, it's called faith. And apparently, I had to completely trust Jesus and not what I was doing or not doing anymore to be made right with God. Do you believe that? And there was silence, and we were down the escalator now, but we're still standing there and talking. And I'm telling you, this sounds so simple, but that's the gospel. And sometimes the simple things is what wakes people's spirit up. And maybe you're sitting over here and somehow you're snuck in and you do not know Jesus. But that's the gospel, that's the good news. One day you go up, you come down, you go up, you come down, and one day you're gonna go up and not come back down again. And you're gonna stand face to face before the one that created you. And if he asked you, why should I let you into my presence for eternity, what are you gonna say? Is it your works? Your things you did and didn't do? 
How many times you went to church? Or is it going to be, I put my faith in what Jesus has done for me completely. It didn't make sense to me when I said yes, but boy, I've experienced the freedom as I've lived in this daily, every single day. And trust me, when you put your life in Jesus' hands, it's beautiful, but there'll also be suffering. Jesus said, in this world, you will suffer. But he says, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. You see, this world is quickly going to fade. It's quickly going to end. And everything I shared with you, Jesus is a perfect example of how he lived it out quickly. And we'll close with this. Jesus' suffering advanced the gospel, did it not? His suffering advanced the gospel tremendously, more than you can ever imagine. It says in Romans chapter 6, verse 5, For we've been united with him like this in his death. In other words, if you believe in faith that Jesus has died and rose again for you, and if you're united with him in his death, we certainly also will be united with him in his resurrection. His suffering advances the gospel. His suffering builds confidence in believers, did it not? Even right now in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus Christ, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, and yet without sin. You think you're slandered? He was too. You think you're called Satan? He was too. You think you're accused of various different things, of, sinful, of a sinful lifestyle? He was too. And what beauty that we have a Savior now who was touched with the feelings of our infirmity and yet without sin. He understands exactly where you're sitting. You are betrayed, he was betrayed too. You've been in church ministry for so long and you've quit taking your hand off the gospel plow. He knows that feeling. He knows what it's like. So much so that he had to turn to his best friend Peter and say, are you going to leave me too, man? Are you going to go too? He was kissed by his best friend that he gave, spent his life with and sold for measly 30 pieces of silver. His suffering should build confidence in you and me. His suffering, Jesus' suffering, built courage in the disciples to share the gospel. So much so that these guys are preaching the gospel. They pulled the disciples in. They beat the tar out of them. They said, don't you ever talk in the name of Jesus again. These guys with bloody bruised faces, they're like, dude, you might as well ask a mountain to stand on his head. It's not going to happen. And so they beat them again and sent them off. And look at this. It says in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that what? They'd been with Jesus. In other words, they said, We've seen courage like this before. Where was it? Oh, not too long ago when we beat that guy, that carpenter who said that he was God. He had courage in his eyes. And we killed him. And he came back to life. And we see that same courage in their eyes now. And they perceived that they'd been with Jesus. Jesus' suffering builds courage in the disciples of Jesus. Jesus' suffering showed the motives of those around him, did it not? It showed really who Judas was because Jesus didn't like Jesus talking about the cross. It really showed who was partnering with him for the destiny that was set before him. Jesus' suffering did not hinder the gospel, but in fact, it became the gospel. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Die for you and me. His suffering became the gospel. That whoever now will believe in him will not die, but will have eternal life from the minute they believe. His suffering was because of the joy that was set before him. I said that your suffering has the potential to bring you joy. Jesus' suffering was because of the joy that was set before him. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, who for the joy that was set before him, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God Jesus endured the cross because the joy of the gospel the joy of the good news the joy of knowing that each and every one of you sitting over here this morning that has responded to the gospel has been covered by his blood and now is not just a child of God but now you're a person that goes and makes people the child of God by preaching this good news don't waste your suffering 
Don't waste your adversaries. Don't waste your hardships and your pain. Use it. Use it to apply joy in your life. Use it to further the gospel. Would you please stand? I'm going to pray and we'll close. So while we close, I remember sitting in church as a young believer, praying and asking God to use me. And I remember one day praying and saying, God, those that have believed the lie of saying, God cannot use me because I messed up. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't create us for failure. You created us to be your hands and your feet in this world that you've created us in for a time and season as this. So I pray for the Nehemiahs, the Jeremiahs, the Isaiahs, the Ezekiels, the Daniels, the Elijahs and the Elishas that once again will walk with power filled with the Holy Ghost like never before as you indwell in us. Surprise us, O Lord, with what you want to do and what you're capable of doing as we open our mouths in faith as we speak truth to our children, as we speak truth to our spouses, as we speak truth to our neighbors, as we go out with grace and truth. I pray that you would move in power. Father, I pray for this country that you have blessed for decades now. Forgive us for turning away from the good news and the truth. Forgive us as believers for keeping our mouths shut. Let us once again show our back to the whip if it has to be whipped, to stretch our hands out if it's to be crucified. But let us not keep our mouths shut. Thank you, Lord, for people like Paul who set a beautiful example of what it looks like to follow and walk in the footsteps of suffering like you did. Let us now, with joy and gladness, embrace all that you have for us like we sang earlier. Have your way. 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 Would you please, O oh Lord, come and work a revival in this city, work a revival in our hearts, work a revival in this church. Now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of the Father and the beautiful fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide in such a beautiful way, bringing gifts and prophetic words and, and amazing power of the Holy Ghost in everything that you do, say and touch, bringing life to every dead person you come across. In Jesus' name, with a shirt, please shout amen. 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 This program is brought to you by the Living Church Boise. Join us this Sunday at the Living Church Boise. Service and address can be found on our website www.thelivingchurchboise.com. Visit our website for service time and address.